This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Usual Wines. All right, full disclosure, I'm not a huge wine drinker. I don't have a wine fridge or a wine cellar, and I hate that partially used bottle rolling around in the fridge. But Usual Wines just changed the game. Their wines are made with minimal intervention, no added sugar, and no other additives. And that means no nitrates that give some of the people in my house a headache the next day. Their growing practices in a truly clean wine were huge draws for me, but the 6.3 ounce bottle size sealed the deal. That's just one really nice glass of wine, or like I did the first time I tried it, I split one with my daughter. That way I feel like I can have a glass of wine on a weeknight, even though I have an early morning the next day. So check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use my discount code MIGHTY, all in caps, to get $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. Then let me know about your experience. This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. We may not be able to take our getaway vacations this summer, but we can still travel and be adventurous with The Great Courses Plus. We can explore so many places from America's state parks to ancient worlds. My family is psyched about the new course, Exploring the Mayan World. Actually, one of my girls tossed it in the queue before I even knew the course was out. I'm sure she's ready to dive in and learn about their spiritual practices, and she is going to love being able to witness a blessing ceremony. I personally love that it was filmed on location in the northern Yucatan, so I'll get a little bit of travel in right from my couch at home. If you're ready to travel, explore, learn, then get your free trial at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mightyparenting. Again, that's a free trial at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mightyparenting. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. And I'm so glad that you are with us here today. I just want to remind you, wherever you're listening, that you need to subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you never miss a show. Today, we are talking about the mental game of parenthood and raising teens. Families put themselves under a lot of pressure to be amazing, to not miss anything, to achieve. Heck, even during a pandemic, there was all this pressure to be amazing, to not miss anything, to make sure that you have great family time, to bake. I felt like I was doing something wrong because I didn't have time to bake homemade bread and do amazing things with my kids. And every time I toss a few ingredients in the bread machine and hit a button, I felt like I was less of a wife and a mom. So between that and then deciding to pivot my business and taking an intensive course, I actually asked my daughter, I said, hey, I need you to take over food. And so I just dumped all the cooking and stuff on her. Total mom fail, right? Well, we're going to switch that today. We're going to flip that idea on its head. Our guest is Kristen Howerton, and she knows that feeling. She has a heck of a learning curve as a parent. Her learning curve was complicated. It was difficult. She battled infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss and adoption drama. 
when she had kids, she battled anxiety, perfectionism, exhaustion, and a constant feeling of overwhelm. Today, she is going to talk to us about these pressures, about what she's learned, and the lessons that she shares with us in her book, Rage Against the Minivan. Uh, Kristen, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Well, thanks for having me. I, as I mentioned before we started actually recording the podcast, I had so much fun with your book. I'm so glad that your publishers sent me a copy to read. I just, I read it and it was fun and I felt good when I was done. It was kind of like reading a funny story that then just relieved me of feelings of obligation and guilt. Well, good. I, that was my hope. I mean, really, if I, if I have any hope from the book, it's that moms can read it and feel like they can give themselves a little permission not to be quite as perfect as we are expected to be. Yeah, and I appreciate that you were so candid in sharing your life. I know you blog and you podcast and you're a therapist and you have all these things that you do, but it's always, I don't know, a bit of an emotional roller coaster to, to share our life so candidly and put it out into the world. I know there are many times where I'm talking to my family about a podcast episode and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm putting that out there, but you know, people need to hear it. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate what you've gone through to do that. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was interesting to write. It was, you know, it was my first book and um, it was an emotional journey (laughs) to put it all down on paper. Um, Yeah. And to share through some of the, some of the hard bits too. I mean, it's funny because I set out to write a humor memoir and I, I, you know, hope I hit that, but um, you know, there, there were some, there were some harder moments in the book too that, that were interesting to walk through again. Well, yeah, memoir is actually one of my favorite genres for reading. And I didn't realize before I picked up the book, I was thinking of it as a parenting book. That is typically what I am sent. And it was a nice surprise for me to have. Like I said, it's just reading a funny story, but one that is real, that looks at all aspects of life. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today is we, we're all living this. We're living this life where anxiety levels are increasing and the guilt, the overwhelm, everything just seems to be ratcheting up. Yeah. And I, I do think that your book is helpful in that. I especially want to talk about your idea of excelling at average, because I think <laughs> it helps mitigate stress and anxiety and all those things that are building today. And I just love that term, excelling at average. And I think it's, it's a way of helping some of us, especially those who are more type A to go, oh, I can excel at something. All right, I can excel at being average. All right, let's do this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If that's a marker, I think that's helpful, as you said, because I am type A, very type A. And so if I've set my marker at average, then I can succeed. (laughs) Yeah, we can feel good about that, right? Because we did. We still achieved something, right? But I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say excelling at average. Yeah. So, you know, when I had kids and as they, you know, started to get a bit older, I felt like I was getting a lot of pressure and a lot of messaging around what I needed to do to make sure that they were the very best at whatever it was that they were going to do. So, you know, my boys were marginally interested in sports and people are telling me, well, you've got to get them on the club teams. If you want them to play in high school and be eligible for a scholarship to college, you got to get them in a club team. And I mean, I'm being told this when they're six 
seven years old. I have no idea if they will go on to play ball in college. Um, and then the same, you know, getting the same kind of messages around the arts and performing arts with my daughters, you know, well, you've got to get them into theater, you need to get them an agent. Like there, there seemed to be this notion that at a very early age, we could and should choose the activity that we're going to have our children become project, prodig prodigies at and then push them into being amazing at that thing. And I was watching friends and family members with kids and activities that took over their lives. You know, they were getting up at 6 a.m. To, to hit the ice skating rink or they were spending their entire weekend traveling for a soccer team. And I felt, I just intuitively felt like I don't want to put this on my kids. I don't want to make them feel like they have to be exceptional at something at such a young age. And I also didn't want to invest in making them exceptional at something that I wasn't sure was even going to stick. You know, it's like, I would just rather them be marginally good at a few things and then figure out when they're older, where they really want to invest their time and interest. Um, but it did, it did feel like there was a pressure, not just to be a high-performing mom, which is a whole other different thing, but to have high-performing kids. I agree. And it was interesting to me because we, so our kids were in uh, private school for a little while when they were really little. And then we homeschooled. And then through a journey and they ended up in the public school system after we moved to a new area. And when I was talking to the principal at the middle school, he commented, he said, he views middle school as a time for kids to try everything. Uh -huh. And that was so refreshing to hear yes. and to hear someone in authority, the guy who's running the school is saying, yeah, this is the purpose of this time period. And yet, I, neither of my girls had been involved in sports. They just didn't have any interest in it. And yet, they were going into um, high school. and Because one was actually entering high school, one was entering middle school, and we're doing this touring. And then and my one who went into middle school still didn't want to play sports then. But when she went to high school, she wanted to try some things. And that experience was we're sorry, you're not good enough because you didn't yeah. try it before. Right. And that was so sad and so depressing. I mean, we found other ways for them to do it, like through our local YMCA and things that were less intense. But you're right. There's so much pressure on our kids to perform that they actually even get pushed out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's wild because, you know, when I, I remember when I was in high school, I decided to play soccer in high school and I wasn't good at it but I, I was able to be on a team. I, I was on JV, you know, um, I wasn't great, but I was able to participate. And I think the culture has swung so much that if you have not trained your kids from an early age, they don't even get to try it by middle and high school um, at many schools. Um, and I think that's a real shame. You know, I, one of the proudest moments for me as a parent is not around a child excelling, but that my daughter, like yours, um, in seventh grade, she never played a sport. She was actually pretty sports averse. And she decided in seventh grade to go out for the basketball team because the seventh grade team didn't have enough players. And so she did it. And they were terrible, objectively. They won no <laughs> games. And she was not that great, but she did it. And I was like, you know, I feel more proud of you 
for stepping out and trying something and doing something that didn't come naturally, that you weren't great at, then I would feel if you were excelling in something that I pushed you into when you were five, you know, mm-hmm. like that's more of a life skill that I value, like trying something new and putting yourself out there than just being amazing at a thing that I've paid for a lot of lessons for. Yeah. So I'm sitting back and I'm kind of thinking about, all right, so if I have a kid who hasn't tried anything, you know, we just both said it can be hard for them to try things. So one of my tips would be to look at community sports and club sports Mm -hmm. rather than necessarily the school as a place to be able to try it out. My daughter said she, she chose to swim at the YMCA rather than her high school because it was less intense, even though there she could have been on the team. She just went, it's too crazy. Two a days Mm -hmm. and three days a week competing. So that is one other way to allow your kid to try something new. Do you have another experience or suggestion on ways that we could allow and encourage our kids to try something new, even in this fierce competition? Yeah, I think I have found city classes to be a nice entry point too. Um, because they tend to be a little less competitive than say a sports league, um, you know, getting involved in, um, community theater or art classes, things like, and classes are a nice way to get, to get involved, I think. Um, and then our local school district does, um, over the summer, they will allow kids to kind of come and try out different sports through a day camp, which has been really nice too. And I want to say also, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with parents who really push their kids into an activity and throw themselves into that. If that feels right for you. Um, I just know that for me, it felt like, man, if I, if I picked something right now, I would just kind of be throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak. I don't know what my kid, you know, there, there wasn't a clear, like we're, we're in love with this sport or this activity. Um, and I just felt like, man, I wanted to give them the time to figure that out on their own. And they're still figuring it out. And they're right. teenagers. Well, and that, so as teens right now, we're in this place of, we were talking about kids who maybe haven't tried things before or wanted to do that. So for families who did throw themselves into an activity and now the teens going, I've been doing this my whole yeah. life and I'm tired right. of it. What would yeah. you say to those families? I would say, and this is hard to say because I know how much time and money has probably been invested, but if a teenager does not want to do an activity anymore, the teenager needs the agency to say that and to try something else or try not doing it. It is. It's really hard to, to sit with that. I just, as you yeah. were saying it, I'm not even in that position. And it was just kind of, it was a combination, actually. Part of it was like, holy cow, what would we do? Because this has been, you know, our, yeah. our whole life. And part of you also, though, felt like a big weight lift. Like, yeah. wow, we could do something else or we could do nothing, right? That's another thing that I love the way you talk about. You talk about opting out. In fact, would you say opting out is the new overscheduled? Yes. <laughs> Well, and little did I know when I wrote that book that we would all be opting out. We would be forced out for several months in the midst of a pandemic. 
true. And you know, my listeners, you know, we pre-record, so I don't actually know what the state of things is going to be when the show yeah. actually airs. And everybody's in a different spot anyway. I'm yeah. in Michigan, and we're just locked down tight, and I don't know when we're getting out. But you know, life is definitely different. Whatever happens on the other end of this, life is different. And and so I guess that's something we can take lessons from too, right? Is what happened when we opted out during this time? Well, I, I think so. I mean, it's really funny because before, you know, before the pandemic started, we had just gotten into a season and I, t- I talk about this in my book too. You know, I, I'm not always perfectly opting out. I mean, we get into seasons where it's like, oh shoot, we've overscheduled, you know, and we had a season like that this year where, you know, I had a daughter who was in two different plays and tech week was kind of colliding. And then the boys were both in sports. And um, I mean, it was like one of those seasons where there was a game after school every day of the week and then rehearsal and then some practice. And, you know, we were like shoving food in our faces or eating in the car or eating on the field, which, you know, I think those are the ebb and flows of parenting teens. You get into that, you know, there's, there's seasons like that. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I really don't like this. You know, I feel like we are not being present with each other and we haven't sat down for a meal and everyone seems stressed and I really want to unschedule us. And then like this pandemic happens and our state locks down and I was like, okay, not like this. (laughs) This is too far. Um, But, you know, I do think it was interesting to have that season where everything was gone and we had to sort of readjust and reset and learn how to just be without all of the externals and the pressures and the running. And I think that there was, I mean, you know, I I don't want to say I'm thankful for the pandemic because, you know, so, so much loss and and so much anxiety, but there was an interesting reset for my family in the middle of that. I like that word reset. And that also ties into something else that you talked about is you said, you know, there is a purpose to opting out. And the purpose of, part of the purpose of opting out is so that you can opt in. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you're off, if you are, if you are too overscheduled, you're missing out on lovely things. And I think sometimes those are the intangible things. Those are the, the quiet moments, the connection moments, the bonding moments that happen at home when you're not overscheduled. And I think it's harder to value and quantify and even put those on a to-do list because they are kind of intangible. You know, we don't, we don't write on our to-do list, have time after dinner to just sit and talk. We, you know, we don't, at least I don't. Um, But when we don't leave time for it, it's felt, you know, and when we get that time, it's really beautiful. And so I think, yeah, for me opting out and trying to stay sane in our schedule and in our commitments and in our expectations of both myself and the kids is so that we have that ability to make those meaningful connections in the margins. If there's no margins, you don't get it. I like that a lot make those meaningful connections in the margins and your opting out idea actually extended to another area for me and it was we can have something that we're passionate about 
Mm-hmm. It, whether that is an activity we want to do or that we're passionate about trying different things or we're passionate about spending time with our family or we're passionate about traveling, whatever it is, we can do that thing we're passionate about and it's okay to opt out of other things to make room for that in our lives. Because I again, this pressure to participate, this pressure to perform, even from home, you locked down, there's still this pressure to participate and to perform. And when we want to really go all in on something, I think it's okay to say, I'm going all out on everything else because this is my jam or our jam as a family. Yes. I totally agree. And I think um, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, and I, I felt, I felt so protective as I was writing this book of like, I don't want anyone to think that therefore my, the, the areas where I've opted in and out should be the, the measuring stick, because I think it's different for every single family. I mean, there's going to be a family who decides like, we're going to go full in on Taekwondo and that's going to be what we do because we love Taekwondo and that feels like a fit for everybody. And then there's going to be another family that has absolutely no interest in karate whatsoever, you know? And so I think it's really based on your family, your kids and your own needs. But the thing is you can't do it all, you know, and especially as women and as mothers, we can't do it all. If we try to do it all, we will, we will probably fail at all of it. So it's like, I can be, I can be an amazing um, career woman. I can be a like perfectly, you know, everything is homemade and domestic and my house looks perfect. And I can be that PTA president who gets everything done. And I can be the lead volunteer for the school theater, but I can't do all of those things at the same time. Like I, I probably have to pick otherwise I'm going to run myself ragged. Well, right. You're going to, do that. And even if you do a good job at all of them, you're still opting out. You're opting out of your emotional well-being and, yes. your, and really your, your family's well-being in your relationships, yeah. because yeah. that takes time. You talked about, you know, opting in and, and having this space to build relationships and connect in the margins. Well, there are no margins right. when we really try to be great at all of these things yeah. outside of our, our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said, and I, I don't know who, but I, I heard this quote that really resonated with me. It's like, we can have it all. Women can have it all, but we can't have it all at the same time. Like there's going to be seasons, you know? Yeah. My co-founder here at Mighty Parenting, she always talked about life balance and work-life balance as not being that teeter-totter image that we think of where it's nice and flat and balanced, but rather it's this cycle. I'm going to go, I'm going to put more time into one thing here, and then I'm going to move out of spending time in that and put more time into something else. And then I'm going to have this time where I'm just really mostly resting. And it's over the course of, it could be over the course of days or weeks or months, depending on what you're doing. It could be over the course of a few years. In your case, you had what, four, four kids, under, what is the age span exactly on your Well, kids? I had four kids in four years. So I that's, it was kids. four and four. Okay. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. So I had a four-year-old, two, two-year-olds and a baby. And you guys got to read the book and we're not going to get into the logistics of how this happened. <laughs> it's great. You just, you got to find out in there. Um, but you know, there's going to be a time period where if you 
if you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, then you're gonna might just go, you know what? For these few years, I'm just all in on chasing children and changing diapers and making food. Or yeah. you might go, you know what? For me and, and my sanity, I need at this point to have this for my work life and this for my home life, but I can't do anything else. Like, there are yeah. different things we can do. But as you said, you know, seasons and, and time periods where we focus on the most important things. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I have seen that ebb and flow and change even my, in my own um, experience as a mom. You know, I had a time where I was just kind of staying at home. And then I, for me, um, found that I wanted something a little more outside of that. And so then I was working from home. Um, you know, and as the kids got older, I kind of ramped up my work. And then I feel like then there have been seasons where I rammed it down a little because I'm like, oh, wow, now, now they're teenagers. And interestingly, I didn't predict this. They need me more now. Like, Right. I, that is the thing nobody expects. You think they're teenagers. Oh, right? and, and, and there are certain things like our high school did not want parents in the school. So you weren't yeah. in there doing things right. at school like you did uh -huh. when they were younger and stuff. But the kids definitely need us more. I'd like to hear a little about what your experience was with finding that the kids need you more. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, it's funny. I joke in my book that parenting for me was, you know, the toddler years, which were just completely insane, you know, changing diapers and dealing with meltdowns. And you're, you are on deck 24 seven in those ages. I, my heart goes out to anyone raising toddlers right now, because I found it to be so difficult. Um, and then there's like age five to 12, where you have this brief interlude where they can, you know, they can dress themselves and they can toilet independently and they can probably even make their own lunch and they still like you and you still like them. And, you know, I call that like the magic years. And then they turn 12 and it's like, they're kind of unrecognizable. And, the, and they, there's all these feelings and the peers become more of an influence than you are. And they may be, you know, individuating and pulling away from you, which is, we know, developmentally appropriate, but it's still really frustrating. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and hard to live through. And I felt like as my kids moved into those teen years and had the more fraught feelings around their identity and their friendships, and there were rejections and there were heartbreaks. And I really felt like, wow, they need me more now than they did when they were just in grade school and just things were kind of on autopilot. Like, I feel like I'm putting out a lot of emotional fires now with them in their teen years. Um, and it's different, you know, it's more of, I mean, and I've heard other people say this before, like it's, it's more mental work. It was more physical work when they were young. Now it's just a lot of mental work and they don't need me all the time, but when they do need me, it's big. Like the stakes are higher. Mm -hmm. And and there are all these, like you said, there are these emotions and, and there's the back and forth and the kids kind of pushing you away. Yeah. And it was interesting. You were in the book, you were talking about uh, Kembe and it, just quick background for listeners. So Kembe is their son who was adopted from Haiti and mm -hmm. the circumstances under which he had to come to the States 
were problematic for him emotionally that created a trauma. And so you were actually talking about that trauma and when he was young and his behavior Mm -hmm. and what you had to do to get through that. And I understand that that is psychologically a very different thing from teenagers and their behavior and things. However, you said something at that point in the book that I think taps into the pain that parents can feel when teenagers are distant or difficult yeah. and and we're sitting there going, I, I'm trying to love you and take care of you and they're pushing us away or whatever. And I'm going to read the actual quote from the book is you said that you had to ask yourself, what would a loving mother do right now? What yeah. would a mother do if she was to love unconditionally, regardless of outcomes or reciprocation? What does love look like if I simply give it and don't expect anything in return? What does love look like if it is completely independent of the way I feel I am being treated? And that, to me, was such a great reminder that the things our teens are doing they're just happening because of their experience and something they're going through that is not about the way they feel about us yeah and our parenting can't be based on the way they're making us feel no it can't and it really it it never can but it it sure comes into focus when they're teenagers right i mean you know, we, we can't expect our kids to be these sort of reflections of love back to us all the time. And in the teen years, you know, I'm finding sometimes, you know, they're just even pushing me away. And so what I have found in for the teen years is you've kind of got to put in the work of building that relational currency with teens so that when the bottom falls out and they need you, you're there. And, and what that looks like is being interested in what they're interested in and making the time and space to talk and you know pushing in even when they're pushing away. Um, and it's, it's difficult, it's difficult work. And yes, I do find myself repeating that, that phrase often. What would a loving mother do to this disrespectful ungrateful child who's talking back to me right now. <laughs> so my follow-up to that. What would a loving that, mother do? <laughs> yeah. And my follow-up to that is, okay. And what would a loving woman do for herself in this situation? Oh, that's good. Because that's good, yeah. it is painful and it hurts. Yeah. And the last thing that I want us to do in this moment as we're trying to, to get rid of some of the mom and dad guilt, right? Dads, yeah. I hear you. I know you're there too. But, you know, as we try to get rid of some of that guilt and lay Mm -hmm. down that burden, the last thing I want to do is put another one on here by going, well, what would a loving mother do? Like, are you really (laughs) a loving mother? You know, sometimes a loving mother might walk out of the room. Sometimes a loving mother might give herself time out. I certainly did it when my youngest was little. I definitely gave myself time out because there was no way I could be a loving mother in that moment with her. Yes. I was just done and tapped out. Yeah. A loving mother has boundaries and kids need boundaries. They need structure. They need, sometimes they need natural consequences. I mean, I am, I'm a big proponent of natural consequences. So, you know, you mess up on your phone, you're not going to have a phone. You, you know, you like, 
and so I do think when I say loving, I, I, I mean loving with parameters, you know, because sometimes the most loving thing to do is let your kid fall on their face. It's hard. It's not fun. Um, but, you know, I think that, that that is what they need sometimes. And that is okay. I, again, too, this goes back to this societal guilt piece of yeah. creating this expectation of perfection, really, where kids don't ever fall on their face. Yeah. And we're seeing now the fallout of that is a, is a big problem. It's a huge yeah. problem. And so... I think that we really do need to take this moment and go, hey, parents, <laughs> loving moms, loving dads, have kids who screw up, yes, who make mistakes, who make bad choices, who make you feel bad, mm -hmm. and that's all okay. It is. It is all okay, and it and it's developmentally appropriate. You know, it is developmentally appropriate for a teenager to pull away, to rebel, to push back against your values because they're trying to figure out if it fits for them. And it, and it might, it might, but they're going to kind of go the long way around. You know, they've got to try it out for themselves. And sometimes that looks like disrespect and sometimes that looks like rebellion. And um, now when I say developmentally appropriate, I don't mean that it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, you know, or that, you know, there, there can't be consequences, but, you know, just from a therapeutic perspective. And that's where I'm always like putting, you know, that therapist hat on too, as a mom and going like, okay, I don't like how this feels. And I feel like my kid's being kind of an asshole, but this is developmentally appropriate. Like this is within the realm of development, what they're doing. Well, that's something I actually really appreciated in reading your work is knowing that you're a therapist and going, okay, like this is, yes, mom opinions are great. And I am not a therapist. I just share things and that's helpful. But that extra layer of, okay, this is really good. And, and I have to say that was so funny too, when you said in the book, that therapists are warned against diagnosing, um, <laughs> what is it in teenagers? They're Oh, bipolar or, disorder in teenagers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you share that here with the parents? Cause well, that because, just cracked me up. I mean, yeah, because, it, and so, and personality disorders, because teenagers, their emotional swing is so wide that it can look like the diagnosis of bipolar disorder, or it can look like a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, just because their emotional range is so wide at the at those ages and that again developmentally appropriate fun no but developmentally appropriate <laughs> so yeah so knowing that again just this sort of releasing a oh okay the sigh of relief that this is normal you know some of the the shouting the trauma the whatever drama sorry not trauma some of the drama is developmentally normal and like you said not fun if it is something that is really impacting their life your life yes seek some medical help to make sure that oh, there course. isn't an issue but yeah but this is normal at least it's normal in american culture that was another interesting tidbit for me is you have hosted teens from other countries yes and you commented on the you know there are a lot of differences and what so I'm curious, like what types of 
attitudes, behaviors? What are the Americanisms in there? Well, I will, I can only share, you know, my observations in terms of just the contrast between some of the, we, we've hosted international students. So we've had foreign exchange students live with us and it's been interesting. You know, we've had kids from India and we've had kids from Japan and we've had kids from Myanmar and they seemed to be lacking that sort of American teenager, like contempt for adults, if that makes sense. You know, I just feel like American teenagers just, there is a cultural thing of just like, ugh, grownups. I mean, there's even a, the boomer meme, you know, the okay boomer. I mean, it's, that is stemming from this sort of like, ugh, adults are the worst. And I, I feel like that might be not uniquely American, because I'm sure there are other countries, but, you know, it, I found it interesting that the students that we hosted from Asian countries just seem to lack that sort of eye roll disrespect that we've come to view as typically teenager behavior. So it's more really of a societal behavior. You you talked about the boomer thing, and that was interesting. I was at an event, and one of the speakers was a pollster, and he had gone around talking to however many thousands of people, and when he talked to teenagers, they had this disdain for boomers. However, the wording that they came up with, it was, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was something to the effect of, you know, they think they know everything and they went through like three or four different dot points like that. Mm -hmm. Boomers said the same words directed yeah. at the teenagers. Isn't that and funny? So I think it's really more of a cultural norm. And we are a culture that pushes back against authority. Yes, we are. It's, you know, so some of that is going to be our culture. Yes. But again, as a parent, it's kind of nice to know, okay, so this is a cultural, a societal thing. It's not something that human beings are hardwired for. And so I might take that a little bit differently. I might be have a different um, reaction or response to the eye rolling or whatever. Hey, I got you're frustrated and let's find a different way to express our frustration. That's pretty disrespectful. If, if that's a, an issue for you, like, because of the eye rolling just gets me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. I don't have a lot of it, but <laughs> you know, that's just, that's kind of a little, you're a little more than an irritant, not quite a trigger. So yeah. uh, I think it's helpful to know some of those things and, and to realize that, that yes, they have these mood swings. Yes, some of these things are considered the norm. And within our own families, just like opting in, opting out, we can choose how we want to live as a family and we can choose how we want to parent. And how we do that is okay. And we don't have to feel bad about what we choose. Absolutely. And I think too, for me, it's been very helpful to depersonalize some of the teen angst, you know, even when it is directed at me. I mean, I had, a, you know, one of my kids this past week was just really getting really frustrated with me, you know, just, you know, I had asked a kid to clean out the fridge, which is a typical Saturday thing, stomping around really upset. And so we went in their room and I said, you know, this feels like maybe it's bigger than me. What's going on? And, you know, it turns out there's a friend drama and, you know, lots of feelings underneath that really weren't about the fridge or about me. And I think that's important too, to remember as parents that like, you know, some of this, 
sometimes we're the safe person who's going to get the feelings dump and it's not about us at all. And so always just kind of not taking it personally and, and, and recognizing like, okay, this is, you know, this emotional swing is, you know, maybe inherent in this age and then digging in to say like, what, is there something else happening? Is there something else going on and being safe enough um, to, to, to be someone they'll talk to about it? And I loved that. This feels like maybe it's bigger than me. What's going on? I think that is a beautiful way to phrase this. And then when you said, hey, we're the safe person, that's actually a great thing. Like that's kudos that your child does. You want them to feel safe with you in their own home. You want that to be a place where they can if they need to act out that that's where they're going to do. It was kind of like when they were little and they were better behaved for the babysitter or oh, yeah. the teacher or the grandparents than they are for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that the only way to be that safe person, you know, for, from what I have found is to really be putting the time in because, you know, and that's where I feel like they need me more than ever because you don't know when that moment is going to be when they're going to be willing to share. Um, I find it's not like when they were little where, you know, there was like bedtime was maybe a time that you could talk through feelings or talk, talk through the day with teenagers. It's kind of like when they're ready, whenever they're ready and you, you're, you're kind of left just needing to be available. Now I don't think that means that you are like a Butler or sitting in wait on your kids, but just being available, like them knowing that like, you know, you might be on your computer, but if they really need to talk, you'll, you'll turn around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that that exactly hits the nail on the head, Kristen, is that when they say, Hey, I need to talk to you, that mm-hmm. they know that you will put the other things aside yeah. then in that moment, not that you are going to be available 24 seven. I, yeah. we did a show where, you know, our guest was raised by a single mom who was working her fingers to the bone to keep yeah. a roof over their head and just keep him fed. But he knew that when he needed her, she would be there. So I I like that. So overall, what I'm hearing is that we can all dump the guilt and just say, hey, we're going to excel at being average. And a a couple of things that we can do toward that is go, okay, what do we want to opt into? What do we want to opt out of? What is important to to me, to our family? Where do we want to be? And then going to those teen years and the emotions and the behaviors, remember that regardless of how they're making us feel, what they're doing, that a good parent is going to love them. And then love means, love means having boundaries. Love means taking time for yourself when you need that. Love means letting natural consequences go. Love doesn't mean everything is always pretty. So don't take it personally. Just be there for them when they need you. And Kristen, we will be, of course, putting your links to your website and your book in the show notes. But for our listeners who are here today, where can they find your blog and get a little more from you? Yeah, my blog is is ragingatsiminivan.com. And then I'm also ragingatsiminivan on Instagram and Kristen Howerton on Instagram and Twitter. Um, And then you can also find the book at kristenhowerton.com. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Kristen, and for relieving some of the pressure and some of the guilt. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and share it. Remember to visit mightyparenting.com to grab your free email series on talking to your teen. And just thank you for being here today and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you are a mighty parent, so you got this. And I will see you next week. <laughs>